Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. All right. Hey, church, as we dive into, um, into the Word of God today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, uh, a very famous um, passage in Scripture, one that you know very well. You could probably quote it with me. Uh, here we go. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Many of you know that passage because we, we, we say it all the time. We learned it in Sunday school. But do you know John 3, 17? What about John 3, 18? 19? 20? 21? You see, all of these texts together are, write this beautiful image of, of the love of God and our response or lack thereof uh, to him. This passage is uh, what scholars say is the most succinct image of the gospel that is uh, portrayed through scripture. Uh, this is John's response to, uh, to, to a conversation that happens between Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, have, have, has anybody uh, seen The Chosen? Right, there's this beautiful um, beautiful image of this conversation that happens um, that really brings it to life. If you haven't watched The Chosen, I would I'd just recommend it. It's, it's really good. It brings scripture to life in really beautiful ways. But um, it, it talks about this image um, or this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus being a, uh, uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, which is a kind of a religious leader in, the, in that community, uh, in the Jewish community. And there's this really intense contention between the religious leaders and Jesus because uh, pretty much every time Jesus rubs up with the religious leaders, he's calling them out on some way in which they have, um, they have gotten it wrong. And so uh, Nicodemus meets Jesus in the dark of night. And, and it's, it's interesting that, G, that John uses this imagery of darkness in in, uh, in that text, because in verse 20 and 21, we see uh, what happens in the darkness. I think that there's a significance, a correlation there in, in this conversation. But John 3.16 um, is not Jesus talking. It is John's commentary on that conversation, where Nicodemus is, is struggling between uh, following the law and being born again. He can't quite grasp this understanding of what it means to be born again. How can one go back into the womb and then be reborn again, right? Um, but this image, this contrast between uh, being just follow religious followers of the law 
and being born again um, because of the love of God is so important for us today as we look to scripture. Today we're gonna uh, look at the love of God, which is the why behind the season, right? The, the incarnation, Jesus came to the earth and the why, the why that we understand means so much. The motivation behind something changes the action. It changes how we understand and how we see the action. So as we dive into scripture today, uh, John 3, 16, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of read a little bit, pause and talk about it. Read a little bit, pause, talk about it. Read a little bit, pause and talk about it. So if you have your Bibles, um, let's open up to John Chapter three, starting in verse 16. Um, and I always encourage you to have your Bibles with you because it's good to underline, to make notes, to, um, and to be able to read the context of it as well. So hear these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Pause. This tells us the motivation behind why God did what he did. This tells us the motivation behind the incarnation. The first thing that we see in this text that I think is really significant for us is that, um, and I, I, Kendra, I'm kind of throwing, throwing you off from the way I did it in the 930 service, so my apologies. Uh, but uh, the first thing that we see is that the incarnation is, uh, is overflow of who God is, not reactionary to what we have done. The incarnation is overflow of who God is in his nature, not reactionary to what we've done. Let me explain that a little bit. The incarnation arose out of God's love for creation, not a response to our rebellion. Right? Oftentimes we think about um, Jesus came to this earth because we messed up so bad that he came to fix us. And that was the primary motivation behind the incarnation, behind what, what, what God did. But if we look very closely and very clearly at the beginning of this passage, it said, for God so loved the world. Not because man's messed up so bad, but because God loved the world. Out of the overflow of God's nature, out of the overflow of his character, he loved and that is the primary motivation for God coming. Let me, let, me, let me explain why that's significant for us. See, attitude changes everything. The motivation changes everything. Uh, there was a, a season um, just a few years ago, and, and I, I, I admit that I still am challenged and struggle with this, uh, where we get so busy in the things that we're doing that, um, that my kids would come up to me and ask, hey, dad, can we, uh, can we go throw the baseball in the backyard? Or uh, can you read a book to me before we go to bed? Or uh, one, one request or another. Um, and, and oftentimes I would say yes. But my yes was, uh, man, I got a lot of stuff going. Um, sure, buddy, I can do that. Yeah, sure. Right, it wasn't I would love to do that. That would be the greatest joy of my life, of my day to come and, and do this with you. It was almost out of duty or obligation. And you can see how that ask, they can read the, the, the tension there. They can read the, the motivation behind it and, 
Oftentimes, I, I believe that they stopped asking to do those things because it wasn't joyful exuberance. It wasn't, um, wasn't the greatest delight of my heart. It, it was oftentimes more out of duty or obligation because I was so busy in the things of life. You see, there's a, a difference in Jesus coming to this world out of duty and obligation to, to, to fix our problems and Jesus coming out of, uh, coming to save us out of delight and love. If Jesus' motivation is delight and love, then, then every time we come to him, we know that he is delighted to save us. He is delighted to restore us. He is delighted to renew us. He is delighted to forgive us not burdened and obligated. You see, the reason changes everything. The attitude changes everything. The the motivation changes everything. The second thing that we see in our text is that um, as we keep reading on, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word, whoever, um, is, is so important for us in our Wesleyan theology. Uh, we believe in the, um, the doctrine of free will, which essentially means that, um, that we are free to choose Christ or not. There's a, a, an opposing doctrine uh, called predestination where God chooses the elect um, and says, you are elect and chosen to be children of God Um, And we believe that all are chosen, but we don't all choose God back. We believe that that all people, um, every race, nation, tribe, and tongue are chosen by God, loved by God, that whosoever believes, we're going to talk about that word belief as well, but whosoever, this is huge for, um, for the Jewish people in this time, right? Because to believe to, to choose Christ meant that you had to, to turn away from or uh, that oftentimes you were uh, isolated or ostracized for that decision. You were oftentimes uh, kicked out of community if you chose to follow Jesus because there was this tension, right? Between the, the Sanhedrin, between the religious leaders and Jesus. And so to choose Christ, you were also uh, choosing to walk away from this way of living. That choice was significant. But what John is saying is that in this moment, there's a shift. Um, I'm going to take that back. It's not a shift because God has always been this way for all people. Um, He was using the Israelite people. Remember this? We talked about uh, the Israelite people were, were in, were the light of the world. Their purpose was to reflect the light of Christ onto the rest of the nations. But they became so insular, they became so focused on themselves that they, they, that they didn't reflect the light. They were, they were looking only at themselves. They weren't reflecting the light into the other places. This is uh, a moment where Jesus is breaking in and saying, all, all of you are welcome into this relationship with me. That changes um, everything, especially for us as Methodists, um, that understanding. The third thing that we see in this, 
in this text uh, comes from this word believe, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is essential for us because uh, we have a lot of baggage around the idea of belief. I grew up uh, in, a, in a context where, um, where all you had to do to become saved was to pray a prayer. And if you just pray this prayer and say these words, then you are saved now and forever. All you have to do is, is believe that, that God, is, God is the son of man. That, God is, uh, that Jesus is the son of God. That he is divine and that he died for your sins. All you have to do is believe that and then you're good. And that was my understanding of what it means to be saved. But this when we dive a little bit deeper into the understanding of what this word belief means, it's actually more uh, aligned with allegiance than it is with, um, with a, a knowledge, an alignment of knowledge about something. Check it out. In, in John's gospel, this word believe is, um, is a centerpiece of uh, of so much of his understanding of faith. You see, John doesn't actually use the word faith ever in his whole gospel. The word faith is never used. He always substitutes the word faith for belief. You see, belief, uh, faith in, in the rest of the, the gospels and also in, um, in Paul's writings is uh, this understanding of um, you are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest no man should boast, right? This, this idea that, that faith is, um, we oftentimes think of faith as like this, uh, this stepping out into nothingness and just hoping that God will be there. Um, if you just believe, if you just have faith, um, walk by faith and not by sight. But uh, Paul's understanding uh, of faith and John's understanding of belief uh, align very closely because uh, faith in the Greek is pistis, pistis, um, which is a noun. In, in the Greek, the word belief is pisteo, same root word. Uh, it is the verb form of faith. Hear that, believing is an ongoing action of faith. And this is incredibly important for us um, as we understand this idea of what it means for us to say, whosoever believes. If we align this word uh, a little bit more closely to allegiance, which Matthew Bates, uh, a scholar, wrote a book called uh, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, um, helping us to flesh out this, this more, um, more dense, more rich, more, prof uh, more um, uh, significant understanding of belief. Um, he understands it in allegiance. Think about what allegiance means. There's a, a king who is um, all-powerful and, and rules, and we say, I am aligning my life, my values, my loyalties with this king. And I'm going to follow wherever this king goes. My allegiance would say, if we go to battle, I will go too. 
If my name is called, I am in. It's allegiance. It is a, uh, uh, me and that are one. In our values, in our alignment, in the way that we live out our lives. Um, this, uh, James also kind of plays out this, this difference in understanding belief and allegiance. Um, in James chapter two, he says, uh, you believe, believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person. Do you, uh, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? It's this understanding that, um, that belief, the way that we oftentimes understand belief is, um, is just like the demons. They believe that God is big. They believe that God is powerful. They believe that, that God can do all of these things because it's been done to them, right? They've experienced it. They've seen it. They've seen God's power. They believe that he is the son of God, but they don't have allegiance to him. See, our belief As we understand salvation, our belief is aligned with allegiance. My actions, my values are aligned with this thing. I can have loyalties to many things, but I can only have allegiance to one thing. I can have loyalties to the Kansas City Chiefs. I I believe that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to get better this year, right? They're struggling, but I believe uh, I have loyalties to Patrick Mahomes and he's going to do it, right? He's going to pull it out because he's, he's great. I can have loyalties to my family. I can have loyalties to my wife. I can have loyalties to my church. I can even have loyalty to my country. But I can only have allegiance to one thing. And our allegiance ought to inform all of those loyalties, Our allegiance to Christ ought to inform how we live in relationship with uh, our loyalty to our spouse. It ought to inform how we act as an American. Our our allegiance ought to change the way in which we operate as a follower of Christ within the community of church. Our allegiance, our salvation is more tied to our allegiance than to our, um, to our alignment of knowledge, to our declaration of, of uh, the personhood of Jesus. There's more in how we live out our allegiance. The final thing that we see in this text, and there's probably a lot more things that we see in this text, um, is in verse 17. As we read verse 17, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Right, it lines out these these two contrasting understandings of God's purpose and and God's God's sending his son to the world. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. See, condemnation is not from God. God. Hear those words. Condemnation is not from God. If we keep reading in our text, verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, allegiance, whoever does not have allegiance to God stands condemned already 
because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The verdict is this. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Because, of their, because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Condemnation is not from God. Those who, uh, who reject the light, those who reject to uh, align themselves in allegiance to God have already uh, stand condemned already, as the text says. It is not an action of God that God in, punishes or, in, um, uh, or puts down this, uh, this, this um, oppressive force on man for their, for their sins and for their actions. They stand condemned already when they stand outside of the light, when they stand in the darkness. Think about, um, think about a lifeguard. Right, when someone is drowning in the water, um, the lifeguard's obligation, duty, response is to go and to save, not to condemn. What were you doing swimming in the water when you didn't know how to swim? How dare you? What are you doing? His response is to come out and to save. He stands condemned because of his own actions. He already stands in that place. Because of his sin, he is already stands in a place of condemnation because of what he has done, because he has rejected the light, because he is, he is walking in darkness, because he has chosen not to be aligned in allegiance with God, with truth, with the word. I mean, think about when, uh, when someone is using drugs they stand in uh, condemnation of themselves. The punishment of what they have done is the consequences of sin. I mean, think of, of all of, the, all of the, the different sin that we put ourselves in in our lives. Um, God doesn't have to come and put some extra punishment on us. The sin that we, uh, that we are entangled with, it brings us down in, in itself. Name the sin. We stand condemned in ourselves because of sin. It is not God's response to us that condemns us. God's response to us is to save us. And we often reject the very Savior that comes to bring us out of the water because we desire to live in darkness. And this is what we're going to do with this paper. Because I think this changes everything for us. When we understand that, um, that our lives are connected deeply to God's saving grace, when our, when our allegiance with God is understood from a place that God loved us so much that he sent his son. Not, not that he, not that he was, uh, had a duty or an obligation, but that, that he loved and that he joyfully looks at um, us in the midst of our sin and, and desires to free us from that. 
desires to save us from that because he knows the joy and the life that we have uh, in him if we choose to align ourselves in allegiance to him. This changes the way that we understand confession. That last piece of that text says the verdict is this, the light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Every, everyone who does evil hates the light and will come into the light and, uh, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth, the truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever lives in allegiance with the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen what they have done. It doesn't mean that they won't do things that are bad. It doesn't mean that sin will not occur. It means that when they, when they sin, they sin in the light knowing that God can, can restore them, can free them, can give them life so that it may be plainly seen what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What we have done, if we are walking in the light, we recognize that what we've done is, is done in the sight of God. Here's, here's why that's so important for us. I think oftentimes we tie confession to shame, right? If, if I have sinned and I, I bring that before God, he stands uh, before me and looks at me with condemnation for the things that I have done. And I am uh, consumed by shame. And it is his duty or his obligation to, uh, to respond to us and to forgive us. And if, if we look at, uh, if we look at, confession and our sin in that light, then we're hesitant to walk before God and to lay our, our sin before him because of the, the, the condemnation that we feel and the shame that we feel because of what we've done. But if we are walking in the light, but if we are walking in the truth, if we're walking in allegiance with God, then we understand that confession and his response to our confession is not shame and condemnation, but is love for God so loved the world. If our response, if God's response to our confession is, is joy, is exuberance, is um, delight, is love, then we're gonna ask him to go play, go play catch more often. If his attitude towards us, if we understand that his attitude towards us is love and not condemnation, then when we bring our confession in a moment, we're gonna, um, I'm gonna challenge you to write on this piece of paper your confession before the Lord. Um, if you, uh, I'm not asking that you write your name on this confession. Uh, this is between you and God. But as we bring our confession I want you to acknowledge that the, the look on God's face is not shame. It's not condemnation, but it is love. It is delight. 
It's joy and knowing that you can be freed from this very thing. You can be freed from this very sin and given life and life abundant.